This is the tough crowd, sounds to me like. Better turn this on. Testing one, two, three, okay. Thank you for being back tonight. I know it's been a long day, and for a lot of you, many things involved in what you've been associated with today. Appreciate so much your being here. And it kind of makes me think this lesson needs to be really short, but boy, is that going to be hard. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is make the introduction really short. Thank you for being here. That's the introduction. <laughs> and let's get right at it. You can see before you on the screen the title tonight's Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. So this is the one lesson in which I've specifically taken the title directly from Scripture. So I'm going to start in Genesis 1, verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's no question that the Bible teaches human beings were a distinct creation of God made in His image unlike any other creature that was created. I pause there because that is distinctive and that is exactly the opposite of what the general theory of evolution says. There are many folks, even in the scientific community, that you would describe as theistic evolutionists. They believe that God accomplished the creation of man by means of evolution. That is not what the Bible teaches, folks. You can't have it both ways, not and believe the Bible. So I'm not in, interested in that debate tonight, but that's the facts. Now, let's go to Psalms, chapter 139, where the expression we're using for our title tonight comes from. Chapter 139, verse 13, For you have formed, me in my, you have formed my inward parts, you've covered me in my mother's womb. I shall praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Clearly the scriptures teach not only were we made in God's image, but we were made fearfully and wonderfully. And my goal tonight in this lesson is to talk about us. I mean, I know you're interested in bacteria and roaches and other lower creatures like that, but we're really interested in us. And so I want to close this series by talking about human beings. And the biblical view of us is very high. And I repeat tonight, if you want to go all the way with the theory of evolution, which leads you to pure materialism, then you as a human being came about by a natural process which did not have you in mind. It had no mind. It had no purpose. And as Richard Dawkins would say, it's the blind watchmaker. So you are living your life, but you have absolutely no purpose whatsoever. Nothing more than any other thing that exists, including a rock. I mean, why would you? 
because there was no purpose in your coming about. It's one of the saddest and most pitiful and disgusting and depressing views of life you could possibly have. I don't want that view. But I also know there's evidence supporting that it's wrong. Romans, the first chapter, says you can examine nature that leads us to see that God created us, that we were not the product of natural causes. All right, we're back to Richard Dawkins, our favorite author from The Blind Watchmaker. I want to read you some more quotes from this book, folks. It is just beyond belief that an intelligent human being would say things like he says in this book. So I'm going to page one. Might as well start at the beginning. We animals are the most complicated things of the known universe. So you see where he puts us from day one and from the first page. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. He can't get around what it looks like. It all looks like it's been designed for a purpose. But he spends 350 pages trying to show us that it was not. So on page 3, I continue. The process by which an airliner came into existence is not fundamentally mysterious to us because humans built it. Would you agree? You can nod your head. Yes. I mean, everybody would say, everybody knows that an airplane was built by somebody. So he proceeds, what about our own bodies? Each one of us is a machine, like an airliner, only much more complicated. I say amen. And then he says, were we designed on the drawing board too, and were our parts assembled by a skilled engineer? The answer is no. We're more complicated than an airliner by far, but were we designed for a purpose? Absolutely not. It's incredible to me. And then on page 14, after several uh, pages of uh, stuff in between, he comes back to this discussion, and he basically says, we shall explain its coming into existence, that's us, as a consequence of gradual, cumulative, step-by-step transformations from simpler things, from primordial objects sufficiently simple to have come into being by chance. He really believes this stuff. That you came about by a bunch of small-scale changes over millions of years, and each one of those changes was small enough it could have been happening by chance. Serious business? And then there's an opposing scientist by the name of Michael Behe in this book, Darwin's Black Box, which I highly recommend to you. By the way, get the second edition. He wrote his first edition in 1996, the second one in 2006, and he says in 2006 the case for evolution is worse 10 years later after I wrote my first one. And he's right. So he says in page 48 of this book, Richard Dawkins can simplify to his heart's content 
because he wants to convince his readers that Darwinian evolution is a breeze. In order to understand the barriers to evolution, however, we have to bite the bullet of complexity. And that's exactly right. That's why I keep telling you, class, to really appreciate the magnificence of God, our Creator, you've got to get down into the nitty-gritty to deeply appreciate it. So I know some of you are thinking, well, does he have to go that deep? And the answer is no. But in my heart of hearts, I do. Because you need to know there's a lot there to think about and it testifies to an incredible designer. And to deny that is to deny something so obvious. It's just beyond belief how intelligent people get there. Biochemistry has demonstrated that any biological apparatus involving more than one cell, such as an organ or a tissue, is necessarily an intricate web of many different identifiable systems of horrendous complexity. Have I gotten that across to you? Well, we ain't seen nothing yet, if you pardon my English. So I want to introduce you to another previous evolutionists named Dr. Jeffrey Simmons, MD. And this book is entitled What Darwin Didn't Know, which was an awful lot. Because as early as 70 years ago, there was a bunch of stuff none of us knew about how life functions. So Darwin in some ways can be excused. So this book is full of things Darwin didn't know. It's all about your body. Highly recommend it to you. So I'm going to read you some quotes from this book as part of the introduction, which I'm trying to make as short as I can and go talk really fast. So here we go. The interior of the... By the way, I need to tell you that this man, all through high school and college and med school, he was an evolutionist through and through. He became a creationist in his practice over the last 35 years of examining the human body. And he is totally convinced the human body was designed by God. And I appreciate that. The interior of the human body is a much busier place than New York City, London, Mexico City, Tokyo, and Bombay combined. Did you know, class, you have between 10 and 75 trillion cells in your body? I talked to you in my first lecture about one cell. You remember? course. There will be a test later. You have trillions of them all functioning together. They participate in more than a quadrillion purposeful chemical interactions each day that help us walk, breathe, think, sleep. I'm going to page 16 because I didn't want to write all this on that slide. So I'm picking up the quote. Sleep, Procreate, see, hear, smell, feel, digest, eliminate waste, write, read, talk, make red cells, remove dead cells, fight infections, behave, misbehave. Throw it in there free of charge. Absorb nutrients, transport oxygen, eliminate carbon dioxide, maintain balance, carry on dialogue, understand instructions, argue, 
and make complex decisions, just to name a few things. Every day. The human brain is an extraordinary, multitasking, multipurpose biological computer. Every bodily action is coordinated by conference calls between millions of neurons in the brain. Imagine a multinational corporation with 35 billion employees who stay in touch and are capable of making trillions of decisions every microsecond. Okay. I ran a college for 13 years. We have 150 employees. There's always something. I mean, it's continual. How about 35 billion employees that are all keeping in constant touch and making quadrillions of decisions every microsecond? That's what your brain does all the time. Why do you think you get tired sitting there listening to me? Eat your protein. Every aspect of human physiology has multiple facets, steps, purposes, managers, feedback loops, anticipated outcomes, and double checks. Did you know that, class? Practically everything in your body has double checks and ways to fix things that go wrong. May I just throw in one? The copying of DNA sometimes makes mistakes. You have a system built into your body that fixes mistakes. That's not perfect. Just think about that. You've got to copy your DNA to pass it on. And sometimes there's a mistake. A lot of those are fixed before they ever get copied. So, I want to conclude this particular book usage by telling you that he will tell you that the human brain is the most complex thing we know in existence. And second to that is your immune system. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and our immune system is an amazing example thereof. So here's what our friend Michael B. he says about that. Diversity, and you have a piece of paper, right? I gave you a piece of paper. I hope you have something to write with. You did come to class prepared. I'd like for you to write these four things down on the back of that piece of paper. Because they are the key to understanding your immune system. They are a good way to organize it. The immune system has to have these four characteristics, and I'm going to have time, I hope, tonight to talk about each one of them. Diversity. You have to have diversity in your immune system. Because, class, there are lots of enemies, millions of them. You've got to have diversity. Second, you've got to have recognition. It's critically important for your immune system to know, is it attacking you or other? <laughs> it's got to make a distinction between you and anything else. Because you don't want your immune system attacking you, folks. If it attacks you, you're in big trouble. 
because it's one of the most powerful mechanisms for destroying things that there is. And then third, it needs to destroy things. So it's got to have destruction. That's your third word. Destruction. And then finally, it's got to have toleration. In other words, while it's destroying things, it doesn't need to destroy the wrong things. It's got to tolerate some things, like the stuff that you need in your body to be functioning. All of these and more interact with each other, says Mr. Behe. Whichever way we turn, a gradualistic account of the immune system is blocked by multiple interwoven requirements. Multiple interwoven requirements that cannot come about by small steps over millions of years. As scientists, we yearn to understand how this magnificent mechanism came to be. But the complexity of the system dooms all Darwinian explanations in frustration. So says Mr. Behe. Mr. Behe is a biochemist. He deals with the chemistry of life. Not like a biologist with the main features, but the chemistry. And when he looks at the chemistry of living things, especially the immune system, it's overwhelming that every piece of that is a chasm that Darwinism cannot cross. So I want you to remember tonight that every one of the things you just wrote down is a chasm like the Grand Canyon when you try to cross it with Darwinism. How do you get across the Grand Canyon? Boom! You better have a helicopter. But if you're going to jump across taking leaps, small leaps, you better have lots of little buttes in between. The problem is we can't find those buttes. You need it all. This is what I handed out to you. So you now turn your page over, and we're going to give you a broad overview of the hum human immune system, which, by the way, is pretty well characteristic of mammals. We have some features that are unique to us. You can see three major parts on this sheet of paper. The reason I gave it to you is because I want you to at least have the overview in front of you as we talk through this system. So let me see. I think the next one blows that up a little bit. Yeah, it makes it a little bigger. All right. Class, are you ready? One of the things I want to do with this is have some fun. So I'm going to be referring a good bit to this book called Immune by Philip Detmer. So I want to introduce you to Philip Detmer. Philip Detmer's not a scientist. He is the guy who's made it the purpose of his life to explain scientific stuff to simple-minded people. So that's me, and that's you. So he took on the immune system. It, took, it was way bigger than he thought. But he's written, I think, a marvelous book to help you understand the immune system. So I'm recommending it to you. It's got some heavy stuff in it. You can skip that. But he writes in a fun way, which I'm going to try to share with you a little bit, as he makes an explanation. And he also has a website we're going to be using in the next slide some of his video stuff 
that's available. You can go to the website yourself and have fun with it. There's a moderation on this video that I have blocked out because it's evolutionary to the core. So is this book. This guy talks about how this stuff evolved over millions of years. It's beyond belief. But it does a good job of explaining stuff. And it's funny. Marilyn came into my office not too long. I was reading this book and just laughing out loud. The guy's hilarious, as you will see. All right, you told me you're ready. Notice there are three parts, anatomical and physiological barriers. Your skin, ladies and gentlemen, is the most important organ you have in terms of protection. We need two weeks to talk about your skin. I'm not going to talk about your skin tonight. But the fact is, if you, if you penetrate the skin, you started your trouble. The skin is built in such a way to try to protect you from most enemies, including a lot of viruses. Did you know your skin secretes an enzyme that kills viruses? It does. That's a good thing. Plus, your skin is made up of a whole bunch of layers of cells, and the farther you get to the outside of your skin, the more dead cells there are. You are covered with dead cells. Ladies, I'm sorry, but your skin's covered with a bunch of dead cells. Yours are softer than mine, though. But it's critically important you've got those layers of dead cells because they form a barrier nobody wants to go through. Enough about the skin. But that's a huge part of your protection, and if it's penetrated, then you've got to start this. But I'll tell you what, the enemies that penetrate your skin ain't seen nothing yet. You've got an army protecting you. There's way, other ways to get in your body besides through your skin. You have some openings in your body, in case you hadn't noticed. This is probably the worst one. And so... Through this opening, you can get to your stomach and to your lungs, right? And so if something gets in this way and gets to your lungs, you also have some protections there. Did you know that? One of the things you have as going into your lungs is a bunch of hair sticking out. They call them cilia. You know how important cilia are to your body? It's not silly. It's cilia. And they're there waving around, and they protect you from getting stuff in your lungs that would normally get through if they didn't, you didn't have those hairs. You also have them in your nose, right, and in your ears. There's hairs lots of places. Did you know, class, that we could spend two weeks explaining to you how a cilium works? All it does is this. There is complicated chemistry to make it do this and complicated chemistry to make that cell grow. And you remember the kinesin walkers and the dynein walkers I talked to you about the other day? You use those to build cilia too. It is incredible for one little hair what it takes to make that work. Okay, class, I apologize, cilia. It deserves a whole lot more. In your stomach, you've got a low pH. That means it's acidic. That kills a lot of stuff that goes in here. That's a good thing. And then there's lysosome in your tears and in your saliva. That's another enzyme that kills stuff before it gets going. 
Did you notice the guy that was on that video clip about how your eye evolved? He just kind of blatantly talked about how, well, and then your brain evolved at the same time, and then you got some tear glands that evolved, as if that was nothing. Class, tear glands are extremely complicated, and they have interesting chemistry in it of all kinds of stuff. Right, Doc? Critically important that you have a tear gland. It's not given proper respect. But that's all the external stuff and internal external. And there's some other openings in your body I don't choose to talk about in mixed company. But there are other ways you can get in trouble. And there's protections built into those. Everyone has a membrane that helps protect you wherever you have openings. All right, is that sufficient for a G-rated mixed class? So, what we're concerned about is what happens when you break down these and you get inside. You've got big troubles, but you also got lots of help. So here's what we call the innate immune system, and what you need to know about that class, let me just put, well, before I put it up there, I need to tell you two or three things. There's a bunch of parts to this. We can't talk about all natural killer cells, neutrophils, eosinophils, mast cells, dendritics, macrophages, the complement, antimicrobial peptides, binding proteins, lots of stuff here. Humoral means it's taking place in the bloodstream. Cellular means it's taking place in other parts of the cells. This part of your immune system activates instantly. Boom! And within seconds, it's attacking the enemies. And we'll tell you about that a little bit more. The problem with this piece of it, it's immediate, but it's not very distinguishing. Because it'll kill stuff it's not supposed to kill, because its job is to get rid of bad stuff. So if some of the civilians get killed in the process, that's tough. So here's what I say about it. It's nonspecific, fast response, and produces no memory. Write it down, please. Non-specific. That means it's a generic, broad-based response. It's fast. And next, it doesn't produce memory. Very important class to produce memory in your immune system. Okay. That's the innate system. That's what activates first. And it's the first thing on the battlefield. Then comes the adaptive immune system that has to be activated. So it consists of your T cells and B cells, which are both what we call white cells that are formed in your stem cells, in your backbone, and generate. The complex story. We'll get to as much of it as we can. And they produce, the B cells up here produce antibodies, which in your bloodstream are powerful. Because antibodies class point out enemies, specifically. Here's the bad guy, come get him! That's what antibodies do. They don't kill anything. I mean, they can make things uncomfortable. <laughs> but they set them up for everybody else to kill them. So for this, here's what you need to say. The 
Adaptive immunity system is specific. Both T cells and B cells are for specific enemies. And that's a whole subject of discussion. How do they get specific? Secondly, they are, have to be primed. They don't just happen. They have to be primed. And they're primed by this innate immune system. So in other words, these guys help get these guys started, as you'll see. And then they produce memory cells. If you don't remember anything else from tonight, you remember that you have built into you by God a system by which your immune system remembers bad guys. And it remembers them specifically. I've seen you before. Come get him! And so for adults who've been through diseases, who have lots of memory cells floating around constantly in your body, the next time that same enemy comes in, you can activate your whole system way faster than you did before because of the memory cells. I repeat, if you didn't get anything else about that, you get this. And can I take a little side trip here about COVID-19, people? I'm going to tell my prejudice here. I have had COVID-19, thank you very much. And I did not take the shot. That's a personal judgment. I didn't take the shot because I don't believe it was tested well enough. And it's a whole new system. I told you that the other night in the Q&A. It's a type of a vaccine unlike any we've ever produced and shot in people's arms. I'm not opposed to your doing it. That's your personal decision. I chose not to. I got COVID. Did you know so of 60% of those that took the shot? So this particular vaccine doesn't keep you from getting the disease like polio vaccines did. It's different. But why am I talking about it tonight? I have decided since I got COVID in April of 21, my doctor, which is my heart doctor, who's an old-timey doctor, he'll actually talk to you. And I said to him, Doc, I want you to measure my antibodies every three months. He said, you got it. Well, that cost a little bit of money, but he made it so it didn't. That's the kind of doctor you like, right? <laughs> and so that's April of 21. What is that now? It's a year and six months or seven months since I had COVID-19. He told me the other day when I went to see him for this after this last test of my antibodies, he said, you are overrun with antibodies against COVID-19. After a year and a half, you know what everybody was saying? Maybe six, six months, 90 days, you'll keep your antibodies. That's wrong for me. And I think it is for most folks. And what we're learning is what God did in this immune system is way better than any man has done. That's all thrown in free of charge. All right. Here's the overview of your immune system. You've got non-specific fast responses that makes no memory. You've got specific prime slower processes that make memory cells, and together they make the most amazing army to protect you that the world has ever seen. So my job for the next few minutes is to try to give you some concept of how this works. And so I have here a video 
produced by Mr. Philip Detmer and his crew at Kyrgyzstost to try to help us understand better. And Eric, where are you? Are you awake and ready? Eric's been working hard today. (laughs) But I need him to help me make this work. So would you look across the bottom here first as we're introduced to these? The pathogens are anything that can hurt you. And there's lots of things. And here are some of your main guys, your neutrophils, your macrophages, your complement, and your dendritics. So the first thing I want to do in this particular video is show you, by the way, I forgot to mention, the guy that does the moderation on this is British. He has a beautiful accent. I mean, it's very fine to listen to. But I'm saying better stuff. So let's go. And you stop when I tell you. So here we go. See those lines being drawn? And when those lines stop, stop right there. I think they're all drawn. Look up here, class. This whole side is the innate immune system. This whole side is the adaptive immune system that I just told you about, and I know you all got it. Over here, you see you've got the nitrophils, the macrophages, the complement, and the dendritics, and a bunch of other stuff. Over here, you have the T cells and the B cells. But what I want you to see in this slide, class, is how all these lines are connected. Everything depends on everything else. These guys over here can't even get started unless these guys start and pass messages on to them. They're chemical messages, people. Chemical. May I say it as an old chemistry teacher? Life is chemistry, and chemistry is life. And don't you forget it. And if I had the time, I would love to describe to you how it is that the dendritic cell here, who is your intelligence officer in your army, can transmit signals to these guys to activate them so you can have your adaptive system put on the big guns. But what you're going to get right now at this moment is the complete interplay of that entire system. It doesn't work right if it isn't all interconnected. That is why, class, that did not happen over millions of years by small steps. You'd have been dead for a long time if it ever got to the point you had such a thing. All right, so here we go. Keep going now, this time. All right, there we are. Stop right there for just a second. What you may not know is besides your bloodstream, your body has a whole system of lymph. See all those nodes all over your body? You have lymph nodes all over your body. And there's another whole system of fluids that run through that system. So you have your bloodstream, and then you have your lymph system. And in the lymph system, there are two major organs. One is called the thymus. It sits right up here near your, in your neck near your neck, and the spleen, which sits down here. Those are the two large organs as part of your lymph system that are critically important. And I'll give you a little preview right here. The thymus contains within it a university. At least that's what this guy calls it. 
And he says it's called Murder University. Because most of what happens in it is killing off things that shouldn't be there. And we'll come back to that, God willing, if we have time. All right, let's go on. So here's your immune system and your lymph system, and there are your vessels, you see, that are all over your body. And here you are looking around, oh boy, stop right there. This is the first part of your army that gets busy. See these guys right here? I want you to get used to this name. That's a macrophage. Macro means what, class? Large. Phage means, anybody know? Huh? Devour. Devour. Good job. How'd you know that? That (laughs) What they say in biology means eater. It devours. So a phagocyte is a big eater, an eater molecule or an eater cell. So a macrophage is a big eater. These guys you want on your side, and they're part of your army, the macrophages. So I'm going to introduce your army to you now. Go. Next up are the dendritic. Stop right there. See these little pinkish guys? They are not pink, people. That makes you think they're ninnies. No. These are your intelligence officers that pass on information and allow the adaptive system to get started. But they do a bunch of other things, too. Amazing little creatures, these dendritic cells. And by the way, folks, these are all just cells driven by normal chemical physical process. But they all work together. And one of the amazing things about the immune system is there isn't anybody directing it as you would normally think. You know, you go here and you go here. They just do it. And collectively, they do amazing things. All right. Let's introduce the rest of this army, and then I want to read you a little bit out of this book. Go ahead. Those are, stop right there. These are the helper T cells. These are your captains. They're out directing stuff around, and they're helping people. They're always doing stuff to help things make go better, and you'll see why. Next, you got the B cells right there. They produce antibodies, and they produce memory. So do the T cells. I think that's it. No, we got one more crew, don't we? Let's let the next crew come in. I love this, because here's what Philip Detmer says. These are the neutrophils. Let me read you what he says. So they're the crazy suicide bombers. He said, they're like a chimp on coke with a temper and a machine gun. <laughs> don't get me near a neutrophil. They're like a chimp with a machine gun on coke. And that doesn't mean Coca-Cola. <laughs> These guys will kill anything that looks at them crooked. And you better have them because when you get attacked, they're one of the first ones out there after the macrophages. All right. With that introduction to your army, I'm going to take you now to Mr. Detmer's book, page XI. First page. Imagine waking up tomorrow feeling a bit under the weather, an annoying pain in your throat and your nose is runny and you cough a bit. All in all, not bad enough to skip work, you think, as you step into the shower pretty annoyed at how hard your life is. While you are totally not being a whiny little baby, your immune system is not complaining at all. It's busy keeping you alive so you can live to whine another day. 
And so while intruders roam your body, killing hundreds of thousands of your cells, your immune system is organizing complex defenses, communicating over vast distances, activating intricate defense networks, and dishing out a swift death to millions, if not billions, of enemies. All while you're standing in the shower slightly annoyed. But this complexity is largely hidden. Which is a real shame because there are not many things that have such a crucial impact on the quality of your life as your immune system. It's all embracing and all encompassing, protecting you from bothersome nuisances like the common cold, scratches and cuts, to life-threatening stuff like cancer and pneumonia and deadly infections like COVID-19. Your immune system is as indispensable as your heart and your lungs, and actually it's one of the largest and most widespread organ systems throughout your body, although we don't think, think, tend to think about it in these terms. So he's saying, folks, wake up to your immune system. It's doing amazing things. All right, let's go. What he does now in this video is he now takes you on a stroll through life. Here you are with enemies all around you. You see that? Stop right there. I just wanted to get that picture. There are literally class... Thousands upon millions of enemies attacking you right now while you sit there. And if you've got somebody close to you, that's even worse. But that doesn't mean I want you to sit apart. Thank you. Put your arm around her. That's perfect. But there are enemies everywhere. Go ahead. And there are enemies inside of you. These are cancer cells. So there's external enemies and internal enemies, and you're fighting them, so stop right there. What we're going to do now in this video from here forward until I finish is we're going to talk about what happens when you cut your thumb. And you say, big deal, I cut my thumb. You know it's going to close up pretty quickly, right? And by the way, if we had time, I'd love to talk to you about blood clotting. Guess what that is? chemistry. And it's a finely balanced system that allows to clot where you need it and not clot where you don't need it. Do you know you can clot yourself to death? The most dangerous things we have are blood clots in the wrong place. But your body has a method by which it balances blood clotting. That's a whole nother subject. But you cut your thumb. So go on just a little bit and you say, keep going. You say, eh, stop. You know, eh, I cut my thumb. Look, people, if you're down inside where the cut is, you see the cut right there? Your skin's been invaded. And for everything down in here, that is big trouble because now everything that's outside there trying to get in is going to filter in. And that's what you're going to watch here. So go. Here come the enemies. Now they're pouring in there, and this is not necessarily a good picture of good enough because you don't have thousands of them in that picture, but they are. They're invading, and look, they go everywhere. They're looking for a nice warm place, and look at these guys. While they're there, they're putting off stuff. <laughs> he says they poop everywhere, <laughs> and they're down inside your body now, leaving all kinds of mess. Besides that, you've got some destroyed cells, and they start screaming at the top of their lungs, Help! So you see the stuff, stop right there. You see the stuff going on? I mean, it's terrible. 
he, he presents it as if he calls us as a human for these little guys. We are a mountain of flesh about 65 feet tall. You know, if you compare us to the little creatures that are trying to protect you. They got a lot. They got a continent to take care of. And there's been an invasion from outer space that attacks you. And your first line of defense is these guys, macrophage. May I introduce you officially to the big eaters? So let's go. Stop right there. If you take a human cell and you say, that's me, my body and the human cell, let's just say they're about the same size. Then how big is a macrophage? Go ahead. There's a macrophage over there, a lot bigger, and it's like a black, a black rhino. Stop right there. The macrophage is so big compared to a normal cell, it's like a rhino compared to you. I want those rhinos on my side. And they are. So the macrophage is critically important. It's the big eater that starts this whole thing off. And what he likes to eat is enemies. Let's go. Now watch what he can do. Here comes the enemies. He can stretch his things out and grab them. Watch him. Yup! Sucks him in, whole, puts him in a cage, puts acid all over him, chews him up, and spits him out. Maybe pause right there. <laughs> we could talk for a long time about this, because what this guy does, not only is all of that, but he cleans up his mess after him. And they recycle stuff. All this is going on behind the scenes. But at first he's killing your enemies. This macrophage, any given macrophage, of which there are millions in your body, can kill about 100 enemies in almost no time before he gets full. So watch a little bit here. As they kill their enemies, suck them in, see them burping. <laughs> Burp. <laughs> and by the way, it's set up there. Stop right there. It said, I'm full, and he turned purple. That, that's not what happens, but he gets full. He's worked hard, so you've got to help him. So he calls for help, and there's signals that go out that are chemicals. Come help, and here come the neutrophils in response to the chemical signals. So here we go. Works his way through. Neutrophils eat stuff too, whole, and spit them out. But they do a whole lot of other stuff. See the cell over here? He's saying, stop, stay away from me. This guy blows himself up. Thank, you, thank goodness. By the way, stop right there. Do you know, I'm going to teach you a new word. Apoptosis. Write it down. I want you to learn a new word. Apoptosis. Apoptosis. Can you spell it? Did you know that English is the hardest language on earth to spell? Because we take words from everybody and just stick them into our language. Apoptosis. A-P-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. -S. Very much like it sounds in that case. Apoptosis. What do you think that means? That's self-destruction. And thankfully, your body has a mechanism by which it can order cells to destroy themselves because if you didn't destroy those neutrophils in short order, they have a short lifespan because they kill everything in their sight. So they kill themselves then as a nice gesture to you. Keep going. 
So here we go. We got the neutrophils coming in. They spew out stuff that kills enemies. They attack them and swallow them. They spew out stuff that even kill yourselves, which is not what you want, but that's what they do and could care less. And then some of them, watch this guy. He blows himself up. And all of this stuff that comes out of him kills stuff. You see how that enemy's dying? That one's going to die. These all are going to die. And he's there. He's really almost dead. And he still wants to fight. Watch him. You die. (laughs) Neutrophils. They're like chimpanzees with machine guns on coke. And they're all over the place, along with your macrophages. And that's your first line of defense. But stop right there. That's not enough because there's too many enemies and some of these enemies don't respond to those things and are still around and still killing you because they're there by the millions. So what your body does is flood the whole area with blood. That's why your thing swells up where you cut yourself. Remember? It swells up and gets lots of blood and of course it starts to close up with the blood coagulation process. In addition to that, the blood that you see here is full of proteins that are there to protect you. Keep going. Because what you've got here is a complement system, which we don't have time to talk about. But watch this. He, it's enough of those, stop right there, enough of those can surround an enemy and explode him. But it's like being surrounded by a bunch of little tiny ants. They just get all over you and enough get on you and go... Keep going. All right, stop right there. We're in the midst of a war, folks. Kids, it's better than Star Wars by far. And here's the macrophages, here's the neutrophils, the whole complement system surrounding it here, and the enemies are still there, and we need more help. So what do we do? Keep going. You call on the intelligence officers because these guys are getting tired. They're just worn out. So the dendritic cells say, I better get to work. So what does he do? He also ingests an enemy, chews him up, and spreads him all over his body. Stop right there. You get this? I wish I had time to read you what he talks about this guy. He talks about the dead parts of his enemy spread all over his body. So why does he do that? Because that's what activates the adaptive system. You've got to know who you're going after. So you've got all these parts of the dead body that you just chewed up, and you're spreading it around to find the T-cells. So here we go. He enters the lymph system. See how he squeezes in there? enters the lymph system, and he's flowing through your lymph system, and he's looking for T-cells. You know where T-cells grow up, class? Stop right there. They grow up in the thymus. Every T-cell has to go to murder university. In fact, why don't I just stop right here? Because I'm afraid I won't have time later, and I don't want to miss this. Let me find it. I think it's page 111 and 112. As you can imagine, the body takes this tissue extremely seriously and came up with murder university of the thymus to address it. I told you your immune system will kill you if it's not protected. So how does the 
thymus help you protect from yourself? Here's how. After a fresh young T-cell has been born, you know where T-cells are born? In your spine. The stem cells produce T-cells. It travels to the university and begins its training, and it consists of three steps, or maybe we should say three tests. Okay, I'm going to get down here closer to you because I want to get this across. You're going to the university class, all of your T-cells. You can't do anything as a T-cell until you pass this university. The first test you have to take is basically just making sure as T-cells you have the ability to make working T-cell receptors. You've got to have receptors. If this were a regular school, this would be the teachers checking if the students have all their notebooks and required reading material with them. What would your teacher do to you if you didn't have those stuff? He'd send you home to go get it, right? Or you'd call your mama. He came without his stuff. Only in the murder university, they don't send the students home if they forgot something. They shoot them in the face. <laughs> and down below he says, well, technically that's not right. They make you kill yourself. At, what did I say the word was? Say it. Apoptosis. Your university teacher says, go out and kill yourself if you don't pass test one. Tough university. Test two. Any T-cell that passed test one has functional receptors. Great job so far. The second test is called positive selection. Here the teacher calls to check to see if the T-cells are really good at recognizing the receptors of the cells they will need to work with. Imagine this part as if the teacher's checking if the pens that the students brought are full of ink and the workbooks are all in fine condition. You've got to have receptors that will work with other things. Once again, if you fail this test, they take you out and shoot you. Death is the result of failing the second test. Third, after the first two hurdles have been taken, the last and most important test waits for our T-cell students. It's called negative selection. And this might be the hardest test of all. The final exam is simply, can this T-cell recognize self? That is, you. Can its receptors connect to the main proteins that are inside your body? And you want zero yeses to that question. Are you with me? You don't want T-cells that will connect to you and kill you, right? So here's the amazing thing, class. I guess I want to read this to you. In the final exam, the T-cells are presented with all sorts of protein combinations that are used by the cells in your body. This way happens in a pretty fascinating way. And this guy talks about how this evolved over millions of years. That's ridiculous. The teacher in your thymus university has the power to build special proteins that are usually only made in the organs like the heart, the pancreas, the liver, the hormones, like insulin. So it would be like you as a teacher preparing something for your student that's normally made in a machine out here or by some engineering firm so you can get tested on that. And they do it for a bunch of different chemicals. 
So that they want to find out, is this T-cell going to react to that one, or that one, or that one? And if it reacts to any single one of any of those proteins used in your body, guess what happens to it? It's a dead T-cell. So when you finish going through those three test class, you have a system built into your body that makes T-cells kill enemies and not you. Now, here's my question to you, class. Out of 100 T-cells that pass through your thymus, and by the way, that is millions a day at the busy university. Millions a day. Out of 100, how many do you think pass versus get killed? You want to take a guess? This is not a university you want to go to. I'm giving you a hint. You say five, it's two. Two T-cells out of 100 pass all three tests. And you still have billions of them. That's why your body is so busy. Is that incredible? That is built into your system to protect you while at the same time getting rid of enemies. I hope you never forget Murder University. It's in your thymus. All right, let's keep going. What time is it? 6.19. What time do I need to stop? Should have stopped already, right? (laughs) Aggravating. We've got to go just a little further. Keep going. So here are your T-cells swimming around. There's lots of them. This next picture, see all those T-cells? Whoops. (laughs) I'm sorry. Eric, save me. I hit the wrong button again. So get me back to where we were. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, Back a little bit. No, a little more. Oh, boy. All right, that's good enough. Here's a little, no, you've got to go back a little farther. I'm sorry, you've got to go back a little farther. Okay, right there. Now let's go. Here's a little old T-cell. There's millions of them. Only one of them works for this enemy. So your dendritic guy's got to find the one. So he goes, is it you? Is it you? Nah, is it you? I could care less. Get out of my way. It's not this one. It's not that one. And this guy tests about a thousand different ones before he finds the right one. So here we go. He found one. Stop right there. There's the antigen. That's the enemy he's carrying around on his body, you know, the part of the dead body. And here's a T-cell that recognizes it. Go ahead now, just briefly. Boom, stop right there. You see there's love right there? But it's really not. It's hate. So this T-cell has found the enemy that he knows all about, and his job is to get rid of him. So now this dendritic cell recognizes that this guy's that's a good match. So watch now. So you see there's love <laughs> flowing around. And look, stop right there. We missed it. Can you go back just a hair? There. Now go. And stop when I tell you. Mm, nope. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Keep going. Love, 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 love. Stop. That's your marriage. 
Because, see, the dendritic cell activates the T cell for that particular enemy. Class! Do you hear what I just said? The dendritic cell, that's your intelligence agent, activates this particular T cell for that particular enemy. I told you it's specific. And then it goes on. Let's go. So he says, all right, guy, you're the one. Wake up. Get out of bed like a slovenly teenager who won't get out of bed. Get up. Move it. And once he's activated, he gets busy and splits and splits and splits. Stop right there. In a matter class of microseconds from one T cell that's been identified, you get thousands flooding the whole thing. And they are for that specific enemy. Go. All right, so here we are with thousands of them. Some of them head down to the battleground. Others head off in another direction. Here we come to the battleground. The macrophages and the neutrophils and all the other guys are trying their best, but boy, are they tired. I'm whipped. I've eaten a hundred, and I'm about ready to go lie down somewhere. So here come the helper T-cells. And they come up to these guys and they say, wake up. Be encouraged. Zippo. And they give them chemicals. And it reactivates this guy. And he gets so angry. I'm headed out. I'm out to the enemies again. Arg! <laughs> and by the way, that's on the video also. So I have to do that piece. And they get after it. And look, here's another bunch of them. And they're going now looking for B cells because the B cells are going to help us do antibodies. And so this guy's finding a particular B cell, and there it is. They fell in love. Here's the right one. He starts dividing, and they head out, and they start splitting up, and the B cells start producing antibodies at a rate of billions per microsecond and spreading them all over the body, and your healing starts taking place in... Big order. Keep going. Here comes the enemy. Look at this. You're going to be inundated with antibodies. You just watch. They're coming in from all sides. Look at that. They just cram around him and around him. They don't kill anything, but they point him out and say, Come, get him! And whoosh! But some of the T-cells go off to the side and become memory cells. And they float around in your bloodstream for the rest of your life. And if they stop right there, <laughs> don't go back. We'll, we'll, we'll make do. But if they see an enemy class, and all that stuff you had to do to prepare the last time, you, have to, you can bypass because they already recognize the enemy. And the B cells do the same thing, and then they form memory cells also, which also float around your bloodstream for the rest of your life. And I haven't touched the top side or bottom. And I have to quit. Makes me mad. It's 
So, how do I fast forward to get to the end of these slides? Can you help me with that? See, we've got to skip all this. Just feel miserable with me. See how many slides I'm skipping? Ugh. I told you at the beginning, recognition, macrophages, killer T-cells, and antibodies are all recognitions. Antibodies are for specific enemies. Diversity, you've got to have billions of them. Your body has the capacity in your stem cell to produce billions of different T-cells and B-cells automatically. And I could explain to you how from the DNA, but I don't have time. Diversity is critical. Destruction. You don't mess with cytotoxic T-cells and the complement. It'll blow you up. And then toleration is leaving stuff alone that needs to be left alone. And you now know it's murder university that protects you through a lot of killing. And by the way, did you know that all those blown up cells have to be cleaned up in your body? You have lots of waste. So be thankful for your waste system also. And that's part of what macrophages do. They come behind and clean up waste also. Hard workers. So there we are, back to where we started. But have not done justice to the immune system. This is partly why a gentleman named Anthony Flew, philosopher, atheist, author, and debater, I think I'm back on, who for 50 years debated creationists and belittled God. He debated some of our own brethren. He was not ugly about it, but he was one of the leading proponents of atheism for years. Now, do you see the book that he's recently written in 2007? There is no, I mean, a God. You ought to read that book. How the world's most notorious atheist, atheist changed his mind. That's the subtitle of that book. And Anthony Flew would tell you what I'm going to tell you next. It has become inordinately difficult even to begin to think about constructing a naturalistic theory of the evolution of that first reproducing organism. The enormous complexity by which the results were achieved looks to me like the work of intelligence. It now seems to me that the findings of more than 50 years of DNA research have provided materials for a new and enormously powerful argument to design... And Dr. Flew, at 80 years old, changed his mind. I appreciate a man like that. I hope I can change my mind about something significant at 77 years old. If it's the truth. That means quit. <laughs> so can Christianity and science coincide? The Bible teaches that things which were made were caused by God, doesn't it? doesn't it? Science shows that everywhere you look, from the macroscopic to the microscopic, things look like they're made. Didn't Dawkins say that? And then he tries to explain it all away. Folks, there's evidence everywhere for design. Christianity and science agree. 
Is it reasonable to believe in God in this age? Folks, there has never been more reason from science to believe in God. And if you listen to the four horsemen of the apocalypse of the modern-day atheist, you'd think the case for God is over. And it's the exact opposite. And don't you forget it, kids, as you listen to them spew out their venom about the designer. And that's my lesson. So, how do you go from that to talking about Jesus? I'll tell you what I do if I have the chance. I say, if you can see the magnificent of the God who made this world and all that's in it, and how humans are different from every other creature, you surely must see that we're made in the image of God. And wouldn't you want to find out what God wants you to do? And what you need to do in that case is go to this book right here and start another whole learning process if you haven't. And what you'll find out is the story of this book is that God created us and he wants us to serve him voluntarily. He gave us free will. That's the only creature on earth that has free will that can decide what they want to do. And he wants us to decide to do what he wants us to do. And he's told us what he wants. And we mess up every time we turn around. And in spite of that, the message of this book is he loves us so much, how far would he go for our mistakes? He would send his only begotten son to take our place and allow us access again. Wouldn't you want to respond to God like that? So if you're a believer in God, Jesus says, believe in me also. And I hope you do. And if you're here tonight and you want to say that out loud, because that's the only way we'll know you believe it, we'd love to hear it. It's the greatest confession you'll ever make. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And were you to say that, we would immerse you in water as soon as we could get to it for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and can start a life for Christ. So come while we stand and as we sing. We shall stand before God.